So uh, John chapter 16, we'll get there in a moment. But before we do, if you uh, visit the city of Seattle, one of the most popular tourist attractions in Seattle is a place called Pike's Place. It's kind of an indoor-outdoor mall. It's very famous. And if you visit Pike's Place, one of the most popular places to visit in that market is this coffee shop. It's a Starbucks. It's not very big, um, not a particularly impressive. You've seen more impressive coffee shops. But the reality is, more often than not, if you visit this Starbucks, there's going to be a line trying to get in. And the reason is this. This is understood to be the original Starbucks. And I think when people visit Seattle, there's just a certain curiosity about thinking about, you know, this is where it all began. So particularly for those of you who love coffee, and I'm not in that group, but for those of you who do, you know, this may be on your bucket list at some point. I don't know. Now, even as you, even as you think about something as global as Starbucks, starting kind of in a humble place like that, think about Think about Jesus gathered with his disciples in a small room shortly before he would be arrested and ultimately crucified. And and in that gathering, in that very intimate gathering in John's gospel, we read this final teaching that Jesus is giving his disciples. And, And even over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the prayer that was a part of that evening from Jesus in John chapter 17. And, and we've looked at that in light of our mission as a church. But think about that, that final gathering of the disciples. And the reality was, you know, they had, (laughs) they really had no idea what was about to take place. They had no idea what was about to take place, I think, in terms of of what would happen to Jesus, but they they had no idea about what the future would look like. I don't think they fully understood that they would become leaders in a movement that in a matter of decades and centuries would, would permeate and penetrate the Roman Empire. I'm not sure they fully understood that they would be leaders in a movement that would ultimately move through decades and centuries of history, even to ultimately include people like us. And yet in, in that small, humble gathering, where in many ways all of this was going to begin, Jesus was preparing them. Now, over the next few months, we are going to really take a journey following the trajectory, the history of the early Christian movement. And we're going to do that in two ways. First of all, this fall, we're going to spend time in the book of Acts, which really tells the story of early Christianity. And we're, going to, we're not going to go through the entire book. We're going to go through much of the book to really get to the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the, in the second half of the book. And, and as we move our way through the book of Acts, then, as, then um, as we get to the new year, we're going to take time and, and focus in on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul by surveying the various letters that he wrote. So in different ways over the next few months, we're going to follow the history of the early church. And, and as Jesus was gathered that night with his disciples, this, this, was, this was what he was preparing them for. And, and if you read carefully through those chapters in John's gospel, 
you will discover that there really is a major theme to, to what Jesus was teaching. And the major theme, as Jesus prepares his disciples for their leadership in the early Christian movement, the major theme Jesus addresses is the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we're going to trace that in the book of Acts. So really, in, in, in a real sense, today is just kind of a prequel of what we're going to start to see in the book of Acts. We're going to, we're going to look at one part of what's called the farewell discourse, Jesus' final teaching to his disciples, where he deals with this topic of the work of the Holy Spirit. If this is foundational, if the work of the Spirit is really foundational to, to the Christian movement and the ongoing ministry of Jesus, what exactly does Jesus want us to know about the Holy Spirit and his work? That's what we're going to talk about today as we come to John chapter 16. Now, as I said, um, in John's farewell discourse, there are different ways that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He describes him as a comforter, as an advocate. He describes him as the one who is coming to take my place, right? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So with that in mind, as we start to talk about the Holy Spirit, let me ask you this question. How would you describe the work of the Holy Spirit? Or how would, how would you just describe the Holy Spirit? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a moment right now just to kind of turn to the person next to you. And so, hey, how would you describe the Holy Spirit? And maybe there, there are certain terms that come to mind or certain themes that come to mind. Or maybe you say, I don't really know. That's fine too. So let me just give you a few seconds and just kind of turn to the person next to you and answer that question. Well, there, there are a lot of ways we could answer that. In fact, we could take the entire day just looking at different passages as to how God's Spirit is described in Scripture. For instance, in this section of John's Gospel, uh, Jesus uses a particular term in describing the Holy Spirit. It's a Greek term, paraclete. And it's a term that you will sometimes tr- see translated as counselor, as advocate, as comforter. And in a real sense, it's, it's a hard term to translate because it seems to have multiple dimensions of meaning, uh, particularly related to how God's Spirit is for us. But in this section specifically, I think when Jesus is describing the work of the Spirit, he is describing God's Spirit as God's personal presence and power, right? A recurrent theme in this passage is, you know what, I'm going away. And remember, he's, he's surrounded by people that have been with him for the last several years. And he's saying, look, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm sending, I'm sending my spirit. 
So if the Spirit is going to be central to the ongoing mission of Jesus, and we're going to see the work of the Spirit throughout the book of Acts and Paul's letters, what exactly is he doing? And that question really brings us to Acts chapter, I mean, uh, John chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verses 7 and following. And in John 16, Jesus really describes the work of the Spirit from two different angles. First of all, he describes the work of the Spirit in the world. So let's look at the Spirit's work in the world. Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's that term paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now notice two things that Jesus says about how the Spirit is going to be at work in the world. I'm sure for these disciples, there were going to be moments where it was just going to feel like, you know, the world's just out of control around us. We're just part of this fledgling little movement. And why should we even be a part of this at times? You kind of just wondered. And even today, maybe there are moments where, you know, we get inundated with news and we kind of just get overwhelmed with some of the negativity around us and it just feels like there's chaos. And yet, even in the midst of that, Jesus says, no, you need to understand my spirit is at work in the world. And the first thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says concerning the spirit and work in the world is this. Notice he says he's going to prove the world to be wrong. Now, the language used here really communicates, I think, the idea of convict or convince. In other words, <laughs> the Spirit comes to be for people to continue Jesus' mission. But the reality is for the Spirit to be for you, he must first be against you. He comes to convict and convince us of, and then Jesus lists three topics Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, what what does Jesus mean by these things? What does he mean the Spirit comes to convict, to convince us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I assure you there's been a lot of conversation, a lot of ink spilled on trying to understand this paragraph and these three terms. Undoubtedly, the, the first term is fairly straightforward, right? I mean, Jesus comes to convict people of their sin. And I don't think this is simply, you know, it's not just the Spirit comes to convict us that we do some things that are wrong and convict us of particular sins, although he, he does do that. But it's, it's something deeper than that. It's the Spirit comes to convict us of our self-sufficiency. The Spirit comes to convict us of the reality that at the core of who each of us are, there's, there's a need that needs to be addressed. And, and notice, right, um, Jesus says, he comes to convict of sin because people do not believe me. Think back to some of Jesus' interactions with religious leaders. For instance, there's this interesting scene in, in John chapter 8 where Jesus, in essence, talks about being enslaved to sin. And, 
And the, the religious leaders around him said, we're not, we're not enslaved. We don't need to be freed. We're children of Abraham, the great leader of Israel. And, and, and so what Jesus was doing in that conversation was attempting to help them see the reality of their own sin and brokenness. That was part of Jesus's ministry. And now that he is gone, Jesus is saying that is going to be continued by the work of my spirit. So the spirit comes to convict us of sin. And then Jesus says he comes to convict us of righteousness. Now, at first thought, I think it's pretty common for us to think, well, he's talking about Jesus's righteousness. But here's what we have to understand these, these three terms in Greek are parallel grammatically, right? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that means the most natural way to read this passage is this. G, the, the Spirit says, or Jesus says, the Spirit has come to convict you, that is the world, of your sin, your righteousness, and your judgment. Now, what does he mean then by Righteousness. Well, here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Jesus is um, getting at the reality that each of us in our own way try to make life work. Right? In, In some sense, we try to justify ourselves. I think that's part of being human. We want our lives to have purpose. We want our lives to have meaning. Right? We want to make an impact. And in some sense... We want to justify ourselves. And Jesus says he will convict the world of righteousness because I am going to the Father. And again, the idea is this has been part of Jesus' ministry, right? Think about the rich young ruler who thought he had life all figured out, right? He comes to Jesus. He's pretty confident that, you know what? I'm doing the right thing. I'm a good person. I'm He has this sense that, yes, I'm keeping the law, right? He is making like work. He has a sense of his own rightness, his own righteousness. And then Jesus says, well, great. If you're such a great rule keeper, if you're so good with that, you're not going to have any problem selling your possessions and giving them to the poor. And what is Jesus doing? He is exposing the shallowness of his righteousness. Or think about, think about a very different story. Think about John 4, the woman at the well, right? And we're not given a lot of information about her, but we know she's been in multiple relationships. And I think most likely that probably wasn't entirely of her own doing. But with that, particularly in that culture, came shame. So it's not surprising that she comes to this well at an odd time of day. Because I think part of the way she made life work on her own, part of the way she managed that was to avoid situations that would intensify that sense of shame. Yet she comes to the well at an unusual time of day, and here's Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He exposes her background. He knows all about her. Now, the goal in that conversation is not to intensify her shame. The goal is to expose her so that she understands, you know, there really is a different way for life to work. And he uses the imagery of that well to say, you know what, I'm offering you living water. 
And so the Spirit comes to kind of convict us of our self-sufficiency, of our sin. And then in doing that, to convict us about the shallowness of our righteousness and the way we try to make life work on our own. This summer, our, our family was traveling back from vacation in British Columbia. We ended, we ended up with an unexpected overnight layover in Toronto. And at about five in the morning, we, we were kind of with a group of people waiting, and I noticed a guy that was watching very carefully the, the monitor with all the flight information. And I overheard part of what he said, and it was clear, watching his body language, he had just learned that his connecting flight had been canceled. So I went, I kind of just walked over. We were standing pretty close. I walked over. I decided to start a conversation with him because, among other things, I just wanted to encourage the guy. I mean, his whole body sank when he figured out that his flight had just been canceled. So we started a conversation, and I kind of, you know, where are you going, where have you been, and that sort of thing, and he told me. He said, uh, I've just been in Europe six months. Well, that piqued my curiosity. So I said, so what have you been doing in Europe? Uh, well, it's for part of my job. And well, what do you do? Well, well, I work for a company that makes stunt cars for movies. Now he's got my attention. Okay. Now I've become kind of like a little kid with all sorts of questions about stunt cars and movies. And then he says, yeah, I've just been... He said, I was in Europe six months on the set of the next Fast and Furious movie. And then he started listening to these other movies that he's worked on over the last couple of years. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And so he told me a little more, and then he pulled out his phone. And this is where it got really fun, because he said, let me show you some video that I shot of stunts that we did on the, the movie. And at this point, being a good dad, one of my sons is with us, and he's kind of trying to sleep, and he loves cars, so I go wake him up. you got to see this. you got to see this. And so we come back over, and all of a sudden, he's showing us video that he shot on his phone of several stunts that are going to be in this upcoming movie. Oh, my goodness. This just, you know, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what an amazing job. And, and, and our, our, our conversation started to wind down, but it was fascinating because we got to the end of it, and it's like he gets very reflective. And he started saying things like, you know, I'm just really tired of traveling. And then he said, you know, all I really do is babysit cars. Very expensive cars, but, you know. And he made this kind of several of these comments. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting here, standing here going, wow, what an incredible job. And I realized, my goodness, this guy's life is not working for him. I wish we had had the... I wish we'd had the opportunity to continue the conversation because I would have wanted to explore that further. He had to kind of go and <laughs> rebook his flight and try to make uh, his schedule work later that day. And so he said goodbye quickly. And, and yet I just wondered if there's something deeper going on because, you see, this is, this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit works in the world to convince and convict of sin, of our self-sufficiency, which then leads to an attempt to kind of justify ourselves in some form or fashion. And then the Spirit also works to convict of judgment. And again, 
it's natural to kind of read this as, well, he's talking about God's judgment, but I, I don't think that's what's referred to here. Again, these three terms are parallel. So I think what Jesus is saying is the, the Spirit comes in the process of his convicting work to help us understand that we're making wrong judgments about life. And ultimately what Jesus, I think, is, is, is describing is it's this, it's this negative pattern. It's this negative cycle, right? In our, in our brokenness and our sinfulness and our self-sufficiency, we, we try to make life work on our own in very unhelpful ways. We, we try to justify ourselves. And, and that, that attempt to justify ourselves then leads to unhealthy decisions in how we engage life, how we engage others, how we engage our responsibilities, And Jesus is saying the Spirit has come to break you out of this cycle. See, Everett Koop was the um, Surgeon General of the United States during much of the Reagan administration. And what I find uh, particularly interesting about his memoir is that he spends several pages in his memoir describing how he became a Christian. And when you read John 16 and then you read the pages of this memoir, it's like, oh, this was the spirit at work in his life. He talks about the fact that, you know, um, in growing up, he said, I considered myself a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. I attended church. And he thought that was kind of it. But then as he got older, even as he got more successful, there was a season in his life where he said, I look back now and realize what I was going through was spiritual yearning. He said, I didn't have words for it then, but I said, I was going through this spiritual yearning. And he said one summer, even though he wasn't that active in church, he just, he committed himself to reading through the New Testament. Then ultimately, he finds himself in Philadelphia. He's working at a hospital there, and while he's working there, a colleague invites him to her church. And he said, I, I decided to try it out. He said, I started going, but it was a large church. He said he would sit in the balcony because he wanted to go as an observer rather than an attender. But he said, ultimately, uh, over time, I started realizing I've, I've actually become a participant. And he said, over several months, I, just, I, came, I became aware of the reality of sin. He said, I was trying to live as well as I could, but I, I became aware of the fact that there was something still wrong at the core of who I was. I came to understand that Christianity was not about what we do, but about what he did for us. I came to understand the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. I came to understand the reality of God's love. In other words, really through the work of God's spirit, he broke out of this cycle. Now maybe, maybe you are here and as you've heard that story, you find yourself resonating with it. 
Maybe you would say, you know, I've, I've tried to live responsibly, to do things in the right way, but I've done them on my own. And maybe even now for you, there's this nagging sense that something is wrong. This nagging sense that something is missing. Would you be open to the possibility that what you are experiencing is the convicting work of God's Spirit? And if that's the case, let me just encourage you to see this this could be the day that you start the journey of following Jesus. This could be the day that you break out of that cycle. The Bible says we do that by putting our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And and here at Hershey Free, we'd just love to tell you more of what that journey looks like and how you can start it. We'll even be available to pray with you at the end of this service. Or if you're online, just reach out and we'd love to have this conversation with you as well. So, So Jesus says, look, I know the world seems chaotic. And he's, again, he, if you read chapters 14 through 16, you'll realize he's also preparing his disciples for suffering. And yet in the midst of that, he says, I want you to understand that the Spirit will be at work. And not only will be at work in the world, he will also be at work among you, the disciples. So very briefly, notice, notice how this passage continues. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, and this is how the Spirit's going to be at work among you. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So how will the Spirit be at work among his disciples? Well, I think on one level, this passage has a very historical application. And here's what I mean by that. On one level, I think these words are directed toward those individuals that heard it for the first time, directed to his disciples who heard this. Uh, in fact, interestingly, there's a similar statement that Jesus makes in John fourteen twenty six earlier in this discourse where he says that the Spirit is going to remind you of everything that I have taught. And that applies specifically to those who have been with Jesus. So I think at one level, the work of the Spirit that's being described here is directly related to the first generation, and I believe implicit in Jesus' words is the anticipation of the New Testament, of the New Testament books. God's Spirit would be at work in the lives of these authors reminding them of what Jesus said, guiding them in truth. And these would be the documents that explain to us the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit would be involved in that process. But even as there is a historical application to this text, I think there's also an ongoing application that applies to us. Because here Jesus describes the Spirit as our guide. 
But notice this interesting phrase. It really is an interesting phrase. He will guide you into all the truth. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, in this context, it doesn't, it's not a, it doesn't appear to be a blanket promise that we're going to know the truth about everything. In fact, if you look at the rest of the paragraph, I think the tone of the paragraph suggests that this is the truth about Christ. Jesus is not saying he's going to tell you all you need to know about everything, but what he is saying is he will tell you all you need to know about me. So here's what I think Jesus is getting at. He's looking at his disciples and even today looking at us and saying, I'm calling you to live a particular type of life. But I'm not asking you to do this alone. My spirit will go with you. And as you go through life, my spirit is going to guide you. And among other things, he will do that by enabling you to understand how the truth about me affects your particular circumstances. Think again about... Peter the Apostle. Sometimes, perhaps you've said, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been great to be one of the apostles? But think about Peter, right? Even as Nick mentioned last week, I mean, he had this very public failure. In fact, interestingly, John's gospel includes a scene of restoration at the end of the book. I mean, here was, here was this guy who kind of had a tendency to be action-oriented, a little rough around the edges, and and as we follow the story of the early church, you know, there would be ongoing challenges for Peter. He would struggle to understand how the gospel could actually apply to Gentiles as well as Jews. And, and at times that would be a hard thing for him to understand. But I think by the time you get to the end of his life and you read First Peter, what you come away with is, in his old age, there's this, just this deepening sense of the reality of what Christ has done for him. He's writing this group of, of, of people, this early Christian church who seems to have had their own challenges, and he says, look, I want you to realize that through his wounds, you have been healed. And he says, you know, in essence, he says, I want you to entrust your soul to our great shepherd and overseer, Jesus Christ. And what you see through the course of his life is just this guy that I think had a deepening understanding of the transforming work of Jesus. And that was brought about by the work of the Spirit. And in essence, what this, this then does, I think it, it, it introduces us to a different cycle. Right? It's the cycle of the Spirit's work that ultimately produces the writings of Scripture, particularly the writings of the New Testament that were anticipated in this passage. And then it's the ongoing work of the Scripture to kind of give us guidance in applying the work of Jesus and coming to deeper and more specific understandings of the significance of Jesus Christ in our lives and the difference that it makes. 
And so arguably, as Jesus is describing the work of the Spirit, and we're going to see this again in the book of Acts, we're going to, we're going to see how, how the Spirit kind of moves the church and draws people into mission. As we go through Acts and then the letters of Paul, we're going to see how the early church came to understand the ongoing implications of the gospel and how the work of Jesus Christ applied to different life situations. So what Jesus is ultimately saying to us is this, right? That the Spirit has come to break you out of this cycle and move you into this cycle, right? He's come to convict and convince so that you can be taken out of this cycle and moved into this one. Now, with that in mind, let me, I just want to leave you with this question. Having heard the words of Jesus, the thing I want to ask you is this. Which cycle are you in? Which cycle are you in? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as I said, I I think about the disciples gathered and listening to the final teaching of Jesus, and they have no idea what's about to happen, not only to Jesus, but they have no idea what the future that they will experience will look like. And yet in the midst of that, as Jesus prepares for them, he wants them to understand the work of the Spirit. And Father, now as we prepare to, to work through the, the history of the early Christian movement, we, we need to understand that work as well. And even in understanding it, may we be open to it. So with that in mind, I, I, pray, for, I pray for those here, for those joining us online. And Father, I pray for that person who maybe right now is coming to the realization that you know, I've, I've really tried to make life work well. I've been responsible. I've tried to do the right thing. But deep down, I know there's something missing. And Father, I pray that your convicting work would just help that person or those persons see that at the core of who we are, we need your transforming work and forgiveness made possible through Jesus Christ. So, Father, if the Spirit is convicting us in that moment right now, I pray that we wouldn't disregard it, but we would hear the invitation now to begin the journey of following Jesus. And, Father, likewise, I pray for those of us who've already started that journey. I pray that as we go through the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, that we're not going to simply see this as just history of the past, but I pray that we're going to see this as, uh, as an ongoing story of which we are part. And one of the reasons it's an ongoing story is the Spirit is still at work and drawing us into mission, drawing us into deeper understandings of the work of Christ and the significance that it makes in our life. So may we be open to that. Father, Jesus said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. 
May we hear those words loudly and clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you for joining us. This is kind of the prequel to Acts. We'll actually get into Acts next Sunday. At this time, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be here and available at the front. And if we can pray with you, or if you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we, we would love to have the opportunity to do that. And now as you go, would you just hear again Jesus' invitation that the Spirit has come to break you out of one cycle so that he can move you into another. Amen.